0: The Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the 48th Islanders of Canada. Today's guest, Chief Petty Officer First Class Tom Riffesaw, MMMCD, Chief Petty Officer of the Royal Canadian Navy.
1: found myself walking off the bus at the gates of Canadian Forces Recruit School, Cornwallis, being greeted by our drilled petty officers, uh, guys that would shape us into young sailors in the Navy. Over the next 10 weeks, it was an eye-opening experience, let me tell you.
0: Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Before I get into the interview with today's guest, there's a little bit of housekeeping I'd like to do. First of all, this is the last episode of the season. I'm going to close out and I'm going to come back in the fall with fresh new guests ready for you to listen to. So what's happened in the past few weeks, just because I haven't posted an episode, I've just been busy with a couple of things. I've been busy with getting camping started for the season and all that good stuff. So I'm really looking forward to spending a busy summer, not only recording some good interviews for you to listen to, but also enjoying some time off and getting out and traveling. That being said, I'm going to do an end of season wrap up episode. So the next episode you'll hear will be the episode where I simply recap what's happened over the past year. So if you have somebody who you know, maybe they're not sure if they want to get invested or listen to the show, this would be a good first episode to listen to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to pick up some of the highlights of the previous interviews and put them in sort of a best of the first year of the show. As far as today's guest is concerned, I'm very excited to have our first full-fledged member of the Royal Canadian Navy on the show. It's a long time coming. Chief Petty Officer First Class Tom Riffisell is the Chief Petty Officer of the Royal Canadian Navy, and he is our first Navy guest, so might as well start at the top. It's great to finally have representation from all the branches of the Canadian Armed Forces. So far, we've had a lot of representation from the Army, a few representatives from the Royal Canadian Air Force, And also, just to round it out, we have last episode with the CEO of the 3rd Canadian Ranger Patrol Group. So I believe we've rounded out the branches of the Canadian Armed Forces. And moving forward, I hope to keep that up and have a variety of people from different branches, different elements, different services, different periods of service, just to make it a full-fledged Canadian Forces show and a lot of variety for you to listen to. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, send me an email at Mike Lacroix, CMHP at gmail.com and I would be glad to get you onto the show. If you'd like to recommend somebody, somebody who works for you or somebody you work for, I can also do it that way. If you know that somebody in your chain of command has a compelling story or maybe somebody who formerly served with your regiment or your ship or your squadron, whatever. If you happen to know that they have a compelling story to tell, I would be very happy to include them as guests. So without any further delay, here's my interview with Chief Petty Officer First Class Tom Refusel. Chief Petty Officer Riffusel, welcome to the podcast.
1: It's great to be here, Mike. Thanks very much for the opportunity to participate in your podcast. It's a great tool for uh, veterans of yesterday and today to tell their stories.
0: Thank you. Tom, you and I first met at the conclusion of the Battle York Parade, which was held in Toronto in April of 2013.
1: Yeah, Mike, that's correct. It was a tremendous opportunity uh, personally for me. Uh, not only to see the colors of the Royal Canadian Navy leading the Toronto Garrison down University Avenue, but also to be able to participate and be present at Queen's Park for the presentation of the colors to uh, 3RCR. As you know, as I relate to you, uh, Toronto is my hometown, and through my grandmother, I had always had a connection with the military in Toronto, particularly the Warriors Day Parade. Right, Watching the parade pass by and the various groups that make up the Toronto garrison go by on University mm-hmm. Avenue brought back so many memories, complete flood uh, of memories of participating in those types of uh, events with my grandmother as a young child. And I guess inside, under an underlying current probably was one of the things that kind of led me to seek a bit of an adventure in the military.
0: Right. Well, Tom, I have to say I've always enjoyed cooperating with the members of the ship's company of HMCS York, who have always been very kind to me, both as a NCO in the Toronto Scottish Regiment, their neighbours across the road, and right up to when I was the RSM of the Toronto Scottish, and as well as the Brigade Sergeant Major in 32 Brigade. We can't ask for better neighbours than those from HMCS York.
1: You know, Mike, a lot of people say that about sailors. It's just one of those things that comes naturally to sailors, and it has to do with the way business is conducted at sea. But HMCS York in Toronto, uh, being the face of the Navy, in what undoubtedly is the financial and capital center of our country, brings important effect, because so much of Canada's prosperity, both the quality of life of our citizens and the economic well-being of this country is based on Canada being a maritime nation. And that connection to the sea, both east and west, is via the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Seaway. Grain from the prairies comes to Thunder Bay and is transported through the Great Lakes to the east coast ports of Montreal and Halifax. It goes out through Churchill, through the Arctic waterways, and off to various points around the world. It leads from the west and goes to the port of Vancouver. And having a unit that is involved in Toronto as to the level of HMCS York is involved brings the importance of that maritime component of Canada's defence family front and centre to what is arguably the economic capital of this country. Absolutely. They play a very important role.
0: Well, it's great to have a naval guest on the show, finally. I mean, I can include Kevin West as a Navy guest because he did start in the Royal Canadian Navy but he currently wears the uniform of the Air Force. Bringing all this naval tradition and naval background to the show is a great boost and I hope to get more guests. Tom, I sent you the questions in advance. Are you ready? Yep.
1: Yeah, I'm ready Mike.
0: Excellent. Why don't you tell us why you chose to join the Canadian Armed Forces? I guess it's kind of a bit of a non-traditional story.
1: I, I finished high school, I went to George Brown, I studied architecture. I finished that program there at Casa campus. And then I went off and worked in the industry for a couple of years. And I was dropping a bid off at an engineering firm uh, in the vicinity of Young and Shepard. And it was lunchtime when I came out of the engineering office and right across the road was a recruiting center. And I was young. I was 22. I was a little bored and I was seeking a bit of an adventure. And I thought, you know what? Perhaps Maybe. Navy, that adventure would come with the Canadian Armed Forces. I went into the recruiting center, a curious 22-year-old, <laughs> and I saw a poster of a ship at sea, and I thought, wow, Canada has a Navy? <laughs> that's, that's, and that's a kind of thing with the, in Canada. Canada has a Navy? So when in talking to the recruiter, I was kind of thinking about the Navy. How long do I have to join for? And he said, uh, well, you have to do three years. And I thought, well, that's not too onerous of a task. I'll be 25 when I'm done and can just return and carry on <laughs> uh, with, uh, with my career in architecture or construction management or whatever may come in that field. And that was towards the beginning of December. And next thing I knew, I was being sworn in on the 22nd of December, 1982, and found myself walking off the bus. At the gates of Canadian Forces Recruit School, Cornwallis, in Annapolis Royal, Nova Scotia, on Sunday afternoon, the 6th of January. Being greeted by our drill petty officers, uh, guys that would shape us into young sailors, young recruits in the Canadian Armed Forces and the Navy. Over the next 10 weeks, it was an eye-opening experience, those first few hours at Recruit School in Cornwallis, let me tell (laughs) you. Absolutely. And I
0: finished and we graduated on St. Patrick's Day, 1983. (laughs) So that leads into the next question. What was the world like when you joined? What was the world like? That was the Cold War period. Absolutely. As a Canadian, you understood what the Cold
1: War was about from a civilian perspective. Russia was powerful, the United States was powerful, and NATO was there. You really got a different perspective I personally got a different perspective on the Cold War in one of my first voyages at sea when we're participating in multinational NATO exercises in the northeastern Atlantic. And the Russians were always present, watching you, following you, observing what the ships were doing. we were hot and heavy into the Cold War
0: in those years. What were you like when you joined? Curious.
1: (laughs) I'd have to say I was curious, and I remained curious through my first two years of service because as I said in the beginning, I really only had the intention of fulfilling my three-year basic engagement because I felt that it would give me enough exposure to excitement to, to satisfy that urge to go to sea. I was prepared at year two and a half to start my release process, But looking back on it now, thankfully, I had a supervisor, uh, my yeoman, my divisional officer, the executive officer, and the commanding officer all played a part in convincing me to stay, convincing me that I had a bright future in the Navy, uh, in the Canadian Armed Forces, and that it would be, in their estimation, a, a mistake for me to leave. Right. They must have had a good crystal ball. (laughs) It was was better than mine.
0: (laughs) Definitely. It seemed to have been the right choice.
1: And I haven't looked back. I do not regret for one moment the day I uh, was sworn in. I do not regret the decision that I made to join Canada's Navy and Canada's uh, Armed Forces. Not not one minute. Uh, National service is noble work. It's it's been a tremendous opportunity.
0: I completely agree with you. Tom, what was your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement?
1: Pretty tough to pick one memorable moment. But I think as a sailor, in my estimation, every sailor should aspire to be the coxswain of a warship, the senior non-commissioned member of that ship's company. Right. Because if you want to make an equation to that, that's RSM. You are part of the command team. You are leading men and women in whatever assignment you get. There's no higher calling than that. My tour came as Coffin of HMCS Delta Quebec. I had the tremendous luxury of working with some of Canada's best young men and women Two tremendously dedicated commanding officers, two tremendously dedicated executive officers, a core of officers and chiefs and petty officers that knew how to lead their men and women, knew what had to be done, and we got on as a ship's company and did it. And we saw success at every turn, and that success was bored out of hard work and dedication. Now, if you want to talk about the most memorable moment of that two year period of my life at sea, I would have to say that it would have been my last day on board HMCS Vilda Quebec as the ship's coxswain because when I left that day I knew that for the rest of my career I would never again be a full fledged member of a ship's company. Right. That was an incredible feeling of sadness on one side because I was putting behind me something that I had been part of for twenty seven years. But It was also the stepping off point for the rest of my career as a chief petty officer in the Navy, as an institutional leader. And that's what uh, is expected of our senior chief petty officers and senior chief warrant officers to become the institutional strategic leader in the Canadian Air Forces and within our environments.
0: Absolutely. I can clearly remember doing my final march across the frontage of the Toronto Scottish Regiment and understanding that that was the end of my time in the infantry. And I walked off the Parade Square, I went down the lonely hallway, and I got myself into the mindset, what's next? And I realized that at that point in time, for that day, for that evening, for that event, that was it. My work was done. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I also had the very lucky experience of being hosted aboard the Ville de Quebec when she came to visit the Port of Toronto, and that was during my tenure as the Brigade Sergeant Major here in the City of Toronto.
1: Right. Yeah, I was there with with Admiral Madison.
0: Absolutely. Tom, who is your greatest influence, or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered?
1: There has been a number of influencers in my career, as well as a number of colourful characters, (laughs) memorable characters. But bar none, I would have to say one of the sailors that I had made contact with, that had made contact with me, and that had followed my career, and still does, and still is there, if I need advice, I could pick the phone up and call him, would be Lieutenant Retired Earl Korn, former Chief Petty Officer, former Chief Yeoman, former signalman. He has played such an influential part in my career from the first moment we met when I was a leading seaman in HMCS Assiniboine and he was the squadron chief yeoman for the commander of the NATO standing Naval Force Atlantic. I can't even begin to describe how much I owe him in the role that he's played in, in my development to getting me where I am today. It's priceless.
0: Right. Tom... I know that I'm familiar with the term coxswain, and I know that I equate that in my mind to the RSM of a ship. And you have different departments, and you have different department chiefs. They all work with the coxswain of the ship to run the ship. But I'm not familiar with the term yeoman, aside from what I learned from 1966 television. What can you tell me about that term, and how does that sort of relate for people who aren't familiar with that?
1: So the term yeoman is a very archaic title, and it stems from the United Kingdom. And the yeoman was a person who was in service to a nobleman, not in servitude, but in service to a nobleman. And he was the individual who ran the estate. And the title then kind of transformed into the yeoman warder In the Tower of London, as example. He was the head jailer. The archers that stood on the parapets of the castles to defend the castle were all yeomen. So from that aspect, a position of trust. Now, in the naval context, the senior signalman on board the ship was the yeoman, or the chief yeoman, uh, depending on what class of ship you were on. And that, in the naval context, goes all the way back to Nelson's day, when at the Battle of Trafalgar, when Nelson was forming up his ships, he apparently, in lore, turned to his chief yeoman to make up a signal to inspire the other ship's companies that were there in line waiting to take on the combined French and Spanish armadas. And that's where the signal, England expects every man to do his duty. The term has carried on through into the modern Navy, and the chief yeoman, on a ship or the yeoman of signals on a a frigate was the guy who was responsible for keeping the captain's message file. He was responsible for the internal and external communications on the ship. He saw every message that left the ship. He proofed every message that left the ship because the context of your message, the correctness of your communications traffic, the preciseness of the communications traffic, sent not only the message of the signal, but also sent a message of the quality of the ship. Right. So the yeoman held a position on the ship of immense trust with the commanding officer.
0: Well, perhaps I should get a yeoman, because I know there's a couple of emails I've sent out that have landed me in hot water a couple of times, so maybe I need a yeoman as well. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, I know that when I was deployed to Sierra Leone, we had some naval members as part of our team, and I can call each and every single one of them uh, characters. Is there any character that really jumps off the page at you that forms a, an impression on your memory? Character. Yeah. There have been a number
1: of characters. And if you... I think I'll stick with a, with a more modern character, close friend of mine. Uh, we worked... Uh, we have worked very closely together for the past, oh, I'd say, 14 years. And that would be Chief Petty Officer First Class Spike Bullen, a uh, very good and dear friend of mine from uh, Petit de Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. He is the formation chief in Halifax. He has... A very charismatic personality that just livens up the uh, livens up the room. His sense of humor is incredible, and he can always find somehow find a way of focusing people on the points that are important. And he has a very unique way of doing it. And that unique way, from time to time, can be very blunt, and from time to time, can be very colorful. And he is the type of leader that really connects. Connects with our sailors and our and our ship's companies. Yeah, I'd say Spike Bullen. <laughs> colorful chief pet officer in 980, former bosun.
0: Well, you know, they must be colorful characters when they come with a, a nickname already built in. Like Spike. Exactly. <laughs> so we've come to the final question. What is the greatest challenge you've had to overcome? Greatest challenge? You know, Mike, I was thinking of
1: that question and, I think at every rank level, whether you're in the Army, the Air Force, or the Navy, challenge comes in many ways, shapes, or form. I have looked at challenge and preferred to turn it around and look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to either advance my career or the careers of my subordinates, an opportunity to make change, an opportunity to participate in change an opportunity to make things better. From a perspective of challenge versus opportunity, I have always tended to be a glass half full guy. (laughs) And if you're looking at it from a glass half full, that's an opportunity. It's a challenge when your glass is half empty. Sometimes when you you look at things as as challenges, the task can become daunting. One of the best training opportunities for any sailor at any rank level Is the opportunity to undergo workups at sea, a five week intensive training program designed to take a group of individuals and form them into a well oiled, well machined ship's company. Some people will look at that as a challenge. I've always looked at workups as an opportunity an opportunity to better myself, an opportunity to better the practices of our ship's company, the opportunity to provide training because. The more you train, the better you train, the better you will be able to react to whatever situation you encounter while at sea, whether that be conducting search and rescue in the horriblest of sea states and the horriblest of conditions, or whether that's having to conduct full-out combat operations, much like Charlottetown had to do off of uh, Libya during uh, Op Mobile. Or that the ship's companies of HMCS Toronto and Regina have done successfully in their operations in the anti-terror campaign that has been ongoing for the Canadian Navy since October 2001 and continues right through to today. What you saw today, what you heard today at question period from the Prime Minister in the retasking of HMCS Regina to bolster NATO's efforts is a testament to the agile capability of our Navy. To be deployed and conducting operations in one part of the world and to be retasked to go do another operation in a different part of the world is what deployed naval power provides to a country. Flexible options.
0: Right. I suppose that's the whole nature of being in the Navy. You travel the world. You do the missions of the nation, and you never know where you're going to end up. Every time I've had the opportunity to speak to a member of the Royal Canadian Navy, they've always expressed the passion of having that type of workspace and understanding that the oceans is, is their office, and that's where they prefer to be, as opposed to landlocked. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how better to say that, but well, it rests on our model, and the model of the Royal Canadian Navy is ready, I ready. Absolutely. Was played out
1: in spades today. Certainly. The Navy will be ready to do that. And we're ready.
0: Tom, is there anything you'd like to say just to summarize your episode? Just to summarize my episode. Well,
1: the slogan for the Canadian Armed Forces, Mike, when I joined was There's no life like it. And I won't regret the day that I chose to live the forces' way. That didn't influence me one bit. Then to join the Canadian Armed Forces. But it certainly resonates with me today because after 31 and a half years of service to my country in the uniform of a member of the Royal Canadian Navy, I can honestly say that there is no life like it. And to this day, I do not regret the decision that I made to join the Royal Canadian Navy and to be a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. It's a tremendous honor as a Canadian to be able to represent my country around the world.
0: Tom, is there anything that you're working on right now that might be of interest to the listeners? This weekend coming up, of course, is the Battle of the Atlantic celebration. We celebrate the Battle of the Atlantic
1: every year on the first Sunday of May. Some may not know, but the Battle of the Atlantic ran the entire length of the conflict of the Second World War from 1939 to 1945 nonstop. It is without a doubt, if you were to make an environmental comparison, the Battle of the Atlantic is or was the Royal Canadian Navy's Vimy Ridge. Absolutely. That is where the Royal Canadian Navy came of age from a, a ragtag collection of a few ships to becoming the third largest navy in the world at the time. We cut our teeth in the Battle of the Atlantic. We commemorate the sacrifices, we celebrate the victories, and we commit our future by standing on the shoulders of those veterans that showed us the way in the Battle of the Atlantic. And this year, or actually tomorrow evening at the War Museum in Ottawa, is the Battle of the Atlantic Gala Dinner, where we will be honoring our veterans from the Battle of the Atlantic as the guests of honors every week. We choose a sailor, regular or reserve, civilian, a group, a ship's company, to recognize them, to give them a shout-out, and recognize their achievements through the RCNBZ of the Week. And that can be seen on Twitter uh, using the hashtag. If you search the hashtag, uh, hashtag RCNBZ of the Week, you'll see every Friday somebody associated with the Navy being celebrated. And this week, it'll be their veterans.
0: Well, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. Well, Tom, I want to thank you very much for being a part of the show. It's been great catching up with you. I know that when we first met at the Battle of York Parade, we followed that up with the first ever Toronto Garrison Sergeants and Warrant Officers mess dinner. And even though it said Sergeant and Warrant Officers, we did have Chief Petty Officers and Petty Officers on board. And it's great catching up with you, and it's great to talk. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Mike. Take care, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at Mike Lacroix, CMHP at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer and tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.